do. I'm actually doing two in a row, even though I know I'm pushing it because most people can't handle hearing me more than once every two weeks. But uh, next week is going to be a special Hanukkah shear. So, uh, so that'll be there. But, uh, and then we'll move back to the two time you know, every other week. But uh, those who are already signed up on the email list, you didn't get one for this year, but if you've gotten one already this year, then you know you're still on the email list. So um, uh, you don't have to sign up. If you want to, of course, because you're you know, lonely and have nothing to do with the time, then feel free, but it's not necessary. In any event, but uh, if you want to get an email reminder, you have that option. There are two sheets there in the back. So uh, that's number one. There will be a share next week, uh, as I mentioned. And, um, and uh, just... Uh, uh, thank you to uh, Congregation of Enof and, uh, you know, for hosting the shear and uh, people put up the signs and take out the ads and, and uh, please turn up your cell phones and uh, if I forgot any of my other important announcements, I'm sorry. All right? Okay, none of that comes out of the tape, by the way. Good <coughs> And... Uh, it is once again Pashas Vayeshev, which uh, we come around to on occasion during our various cycles, and um, and it's always a difficult Pasha to understand. And we've mentioned this in the past. Every time we have to do it Vayeshev, it's always a difficult Pasha to understand how we understand Yosef and how we understand the Shvatim and how we understand the role of Yaakov. And all of these are ideas that we've talked about in the past. And... Um, and I wanted to start really at the beginning of the parasha. Now, maybe I would, I would give the briefest introduction to this uh, idea. And that is that we know that the parashios have names based on what's considered the first significant word in the parasha. So that if... Uh, you know, voracious is pretty easy. First word is voracious, called voracious, right? But as it was pointed out, you know, um, there is a parsha called Toldos, which starts off with Elu Toldos Yitzchak, and there's another parsha called Noach, which starts Elu Toldos Noach. That one could have been called Toldos, and, and Toldos could have been called Yitzchak. You know, if you're looking for a significant word, <clears throat> why shouldn't it be that way? Who's to say? Why would emor be uh, a particularly significant word to be able to name a parsha after? Um, as such, if, if we have taken upon ourselves to take one of the words in the parsha as the name of the parsha, then there is probably a theme of the parsha that is best captured by the name we've given it. Uh, we spoke about this at length a few years back on Parsha Shmos when we said it's interesting that the first Parsha and the entire Sefer should be referred to as Shmos. The Chazal referred to it as Sefer Geula, which makes a lot more sense. But to call it names, and we went through the Parsha that time and we found there was a tremendous uh, reference to names in Parsha Shmos. It pops up quite a lot, bit, bit, and the and the medrash makes reference to the idea of names. So it, it's not for naught that something becomes the name of the parasha based on a particular word, right? We spoke about this as well eleven years ago, I think, on parshas vayigash in uh, um, one of our first parsha shirim, when we talked about how vayigash is from a lotion of you know of gush of, of come close. And how they go to Eretz Goshen, and um, how Goshna says the Vayisascha are the four letters that are on the dreidel, and so this term Vayigash, which is Yosef and his brothers coming back together, because there's obviously uh, a theme in the three parshios. In Vayeshev, we see ya Yosef going lower and lower and lower and lower, and Mikates we see. Yosef suddenly elevated, and we see the brothers going lower and lower and lower and lower. And in Parshas Vayigash, everyone comes back together. So there's, there's obviously something dramatic taking place, so we come up with a word. The name of this week's Parsha is Vayeshev. It's the first word. Vayeshev, Yaakov, Be'eretz, Maguri, Aviv, Be'eretz, Canaan. Yaakov was sitting, uh, dwelling, 
Be'eretz Meguri Aviv, in the land where his fathers sojourned. I'm sorry, there is no such a word as sojourn. Nobody ever uses it unless you are in Artsgro land. There is a whole collection of words that do not exist in real life. Sojourn is one of them. I have never heard anyone ever use this word unless they are in a translation. You know, so you live here in Israel? No, I sojourn. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 you know. It's a lot of words like this, which uh, I was speaking in England um, just before Slichos, and they said, um, they, you know, the, the rabbi there said, uh, we're going to be starting next Saturday night with the penitential prayers. And I said, listen to me, if nobody, if someone doesn't know what slichos are, they're not going to know what penitential prayers are, so you might as well say slichos. I'm always amazed when people translate tefillin as phylacteries. Do you think there's anybody who says, you say tefillin, they don't know what you mean, you say phylacteries, oh, why didn't you say so? You know what I mean? That clarifies it, you know? So sojourn is one of those words, and I'm sorry, but there's, there's no good word for it. Um, there are certain words that I don't know what, if it wasn't for these made-up words that don't really exist, I know what we would do, i.e. kalim. Kalim are always translated as vessels. Do you ever have vessels in your house, right? Vessels are only in the Navy. We don't have vessels. But what do you call a bunch of stuff? That's why I tried. They said, how do you translate kalim? I said, stuff. That's the best word I can come up with. But, but you want to call it vessels, call it vessels. But that doesn't have any more meaning to me than, than Caleb. So you might as well just learn the Hebrew word. So, uh, so be that as it may, <laughs> I won't even get into Nechzei Tzon Barzo. But uh, for those of you doing Suvis, you know what I mean? Just put that aside. But, um, but be that as it may, sojourn is the, is the word that is there. The Eretz Kanan. So Yaakov lived in the land where his fathers resided in the land of Canaan. And that's the beginning. Ela told us Yaakov, Yosef, Ben Shavaz, Rachel, etc. Now Rashi is deeply troubled by this Pasek because it doesn't belong here. There'd be nothing wrong if the Parsha started Ela told us Yaakov, Yosef, it's no different than Ela told us Noah, it's no different than Ela told us Yitzchak. It works out just fine. What is the significance of the first Pusik, Vyeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Maguri Ovu Be'eretz Kanan? And Rashi takes several approaches. One approach he has is to contrast it to the end of last week's parasha, where it goes at length through the various, um, the various kings and uh, power of Edom. Right? Esav, who is Edom? and all of their tremendous things. So he says, well, just like that was run through very quickly, Rashi says, now that we are going to talk about Yaakov, every detail will be significant. We don't know that much about the kings of Esau, even though it ran through basically the entire history until David HaMelech, but we don't really care about that, you know, and it's just run through quickly as a list of names. And he says, the same thing is true when it says, you know, uh, the first... Uh, ten generations until Noah. It just runs through it. When you get to Noah, we spend time. Then he runs through the next ten generations till we get to Avram, and then we spend time. Like a person who's sifting in the sand looking for a pearl. Once he finds the pearl, he tosses everything else away. Rashi, by the way, says the same exact thing at the beginning of Divri Yomim, when he says if you take a look at the structure of Divri Yomim, it's the same kind of an arrangement. We run quickly through the various details. So this Pasuk is telling us we're now going to tell the story of Yaakov and we are contrasting it to Esau. That's one. Um, the other one where this Pasuk serves as a link is because Esau has all of his tremendous power and we suddenly come and Yaakov comes along and says, my goodness, who can possibly stand up to the might of Esau? Right? I, just to put this into terms, you know, you're looking here at the various kings of Esau and you're reading the names and it really doesn't have that much significance to us thousands of years later, right? But if I was to tell you at this point that the Jewish people, right, the Mashiach is going to come, the Jewish people are going to take over the world. They're going to take over the world. And I show you quickly, right, the armaments of the Arab countries and I show you the uh, armaments of Western Europe and I show you the armaments of, uh, of uh, the former Soviet Union. I show the armaments of the United States and the entire world. And I say, we're going to knock all this out. 
So a person would certainly sit and wonder, my goodness, how will we beat them when we're having a hard time with stone-throwing Palestinian youth? You know what I mean? And we don't know how to, what to do about that. You know, We're right now trying to debate, should we pull the plug on Gaza just because they're shooting at us or not? Maybe we could just make a little brownout. I mean, what's wrong with that? We do that here in Israel already. You know what I mean? Why not do it to them a little bit? No, no, can't do that. No. Maybe just close down the water a little bit. They'll take a shower. They won't have so much pressure. You know what I mean? These are the important issues that are now being debated by Israel as an independent major country who is under missile attack. You understand? So we look at all of the power of the world and we say, we're going to knock this out. And that's why it says, Ela told us Yaakov Yosef. That Yosef is the flame to Yaakov's fire that will allow him to destroy the world. Right? And then Rashi brings another approach. And uh, And he brings a medrash, which is in Bereshit's Rabbah. It says the following. Now, Rashi changes the Medrash a little bit. Uh, we're not going to go into that tonight, but he changes the Medrash from the actual Lushan of the Medrash. Yeah? The, the actual Lushan of the Medrash is... Vizman um, Shitzadikim Yoshvim B'Shalva at a time when Sadiqim want to sit in peace, yeah, and they want to sit in peace in this world, the Satan comes and accuses. It's not enough that they're going to sit in peace in the next world. They want to sit in peace in this world. That's the Lashon of the Medrash, but Rashi makes it much more personal, and he says. Bikesh Yaakov leishev b'shalva. Yaakov wanted to sit b'shalva. It's usually translated as in peace, but that would mean shalom. Shalom is in fact in peace. Shalva implies something different than peace. Interestingly enough, Esav in Gematria is Shalom. Something to be said for that, in any event. So he wanted to sit Bishalva, um, unmolested, I suppose, would be the best way of putting it. Yeah, Peace of mind. Kofatalov Rogzoisha Yosef immediately jumped upon him this pain, disaster, trouble of Yosef. Tzadikim mevakshim leishev v'shalva. The tzadikim want to sit in uh, contentment. Oh my Kodesh Baruch Hu, lo dayin le tzadikim mashmatukin lam lolam haba, elu mevakshim leishev v'shalva olam hazeh. It's not enough for tzadikim what is set for them in olam haba. They want to sit in um, tranquility in this world. So here it's not the satan, it's a Kodesh Baruch Hu talking. And here's not tzaddikim in general. It's talking about Yaakov. And it's, and it's to read this in the simplest way means Yaakov did something wrong. And there are those who learned the Pasuk as Vayeshev Yaakov Ve'eretz Maguri Aviv Ve'eretz Kanan. Yaakov wanted to dwell, to live, to settle in the land where his fathers were Geirim. And they only wanted to be Geirim. Maguri Aviv, and he didn't want to be a Ger, he wanted to be a Toshav. He wanted to settle. And because of that came the Tsaras of Yosef. But it sounds like it's a, a question of reward and punishment, which is a very strange thing. I mean, the Ksav Soifa asks, so what's the Mida Kenegad Mida? What, what is that supposed to do? What is this, what is this uh, what, what, what's the result? What's the crime and what's the punishment? A very strange idea. Bikesh Yaakov Leishev B'Shalva. He wanted to sit in tranquility. We spoke about this also years ago in Parshas Vayigash at the end. It was actually, we spoke about it in Parshas Vayichi, where Rashi says, there's no space separating Parshas Vayichi from Parshas Vayigash, although there should be. And 
Um, that's because the hearts and eyes of Bnei Israel were closed, and also because the Geula was hidden, etc., etc. And so the Kliyaka says, what does that got to do with anything? And he says that when you remove the space between two parashios, what you obviously do is connect the two parashios, which means that normally you would start by Yechi as a new parasha, but we want to connect it to the, to the Pasuk that went at the end of Ayigash, which reads, Vayeshev Yisrael Be'eret Mitzrayim Be'eret Goshen. And Yisrael lived in Eretz Mitzrayim. Ba, And they took hold of it. They wanted it as an achuza. They wanted to take possession of it. Yeah? They wanted to live there. When Bnei Israel came down, they said, We came to sojourn in the land, not to live, to be strangers, to, to, um, to remain temporary. And, um, and you want to you know, make yourself a, a permanent resident. You want to settle down and set down roots. So there are those who want to learn this Pesach. Is that way that that's what Yaakov wanted to do? Right? And therefore, as a result of this, he got the, the whole punishment of, of Yaakov, of Yosef, and Mechiris Yosef, and everything that went with that. Uh, putting aside the fact that it's, you know, it certainly sounds harsh and all the things that go with that, we have to understand a little bit of what it means, Vayeshev Yaakov. What does it mean that Yaakov wanted to sit, wanted to dwell, wanted to live? And. Um, and that, um, and that there was a, a, a taina on him for this. And he describes it as Be'eretz Maguri Avi. So, the Chsam Seifer um, shows that this is to be uh, compared to Esav's position. What was Esav's position? When Yaakov returns, it says the following, Vayishlach Yaakov, right at the beginning of Vayishlach, Vayishlach Yaakov malochim lefanav el Esav achiv, Arzer Seir stay Edom. He sends it to the land of Seir, to the field of Edom. Why two terms? And the Ramban explains, because there is a place called Eretz Seir, obviously, and within Seir there was this um, place that was known as the place of Edom. I, I don't know if it was considered autonomous or not, but everyone knew this is, I suppose, in New York you'd make reference to Chinatown or Little Italy, you know. Um, this was the place that was known to be, you know, uh, where the where Edom and his people lived. And says Chsam Seifer, it was the same thing with the Jews. Because at the end of the parasha, when Yosef is describing to the, to the Sar Mashkin what happened to him, he says the following, Mem Tezvav, Ki gunav gunavti me'eretz ha'ivrim, I was stolen from the land of the Hebrews. What's the land of the Hebrews? He says, just like in Seir, there was a place called um, Stay Edom, there was in Eretz Canaan a place called Eretz Ha'ivrin. Everyone knows this is where the Jews lived. This is, this is their place and where they settled down. And the others had been living in Israel now for about 250 years. You know, it was uh, it was known that this was where the Jews hung out. You know, um, I think it's in Cyprus. There's a street called the Street of the Jews, or the Jewish Bridge, or something like that. There's certain other towns, Rome, Street of the Jews. You know, certain places you can go, the Street of the Jews. This is where the Jews live, right? Flatbush. Whatever it is, you know what I mean? Certain places, you know, this is where the Jews live, you know? And, and uh, that's, that's the perception. That's the understanding. So just like Edom had settled down, Yaakov had settled down, so to speak, in the Eretz Ivrim. But Yaakov doesn't call it Eretz Ivrim. 
says Chassam Soifer. He calls it Eretz Kanaan, Eretz Maguri Aviv. He doesn't want to give it a name. He doesn't want to imply possession. He's making it clear that I'm, I'm living here, but I want to... I don't want to make it look like I think this is the end of the process. I know this 400 years. Everyone knows this 400 years, right? Rashi told us already that Asaph didn't wasn't interested in the 400 years, so he ran away to uh, to Seir, and he says, "I'm going to take this as my nachala. You keep it so, because it comes with 400 years of, of wanderings and, and being a stranger and, and slavery, and I don't want that." And Yaakov is settling down. So. We're going to take a look at some of the specific aspects of what was wrong here in Yaakov's place. But we first have to look at a certain global approach to the problem. Namely, the concept of vayeshev. When you sit. When you sit, there is one specific part of your anatomy that does not come into play. Namely, your legs unless you have the disadvantage of sitting next to one of the people with the shaking leg at your table, and your table is like rattling a little bit because, you know, they get a little too excited, you know, whatever it is, they're a little nervous, you know. Or if you're on a plane and the person behind you is kicking you from underneath, you know, or, uh, or any of those kind of things, right? But assuming that a person is sitting carefully, they're using mostly one part of their anatomy, you know, I'll never forget. I heard or Meltzer, Shmayel Meltzer, when when I was uh, I was working in a particular yeshiva. So some of our talmidim went on to a higher level yeshiva, and they were very upset at the yeshiva for whatever reason. They had a list of complaints, and we went to a Meltzer to try to, you know, work out the problem. You know, and he he expressed it as follows: the purpose of a person in this world is to learn Torah. So everything you have is there to learn Torah. You have hands so you can reach the farm and turn the pages. You have eyes so you can see. You know what I mean? You have legs so you can walk and get the safer. You know what I mean? And there's a part of your anatomy that was created so that you can sit. But it has another purpose. And that is if every now and then you're not doing the right thing, that's where your Rebbe can give you a kick. <laughs> so that was a new understanding of the Tzuras Adam for me that I hadn't had until that point. It was an interesting way of looking at it. <laughs> but... Um, but interestingly enough, um, when you're sitting, obviously there's no use for your legs. And there's an interesting thing about legs. And that is that legs is not an essential part of what it is to be a human being. Tzorich beer. Always a friend of mine used to say, Tzorich beer, I think I'll have one. Yeah? Let's understand what that means. What does that mean? What it means is the following. I'll give you an example. The Mishkan, and we spoke about this years ago, the Mishkan is a macrocosm of a human being. The Medrash says this, and the Malvim goes through the different parts. How the Aron is in fact the conscious and subconscious mind. How the, um, you know, uh, the outer Mizbeach is the digestive system. You know, different things like this. But there really is no part of the Mishkan that corresponds to legs. It doesn't really go anywhere. Maybe the wagons. But that's that part of the Mishkan that's used to transport the Mishkan. The Mishkan itself isn't meant to go anywhere. Legs are meant to take you from one destination to another. But they're not meant to... But they're not an essential part of you. Now, we, we talked about this in the past, but it's always good I, to go over these things because uh, assuming that your memory is as good as mine, you know what I mean? So uh, what does that mean? That means that we work in base 10. Base 10 is not the most convenient system to work in. The British used base 12. 12 inches to a foot, 12 pence to a shilling, uh, a dozen, uh, 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 what do you call it, uh, 144 is, uh, is uh, a... What? Gross. Gross. Gross, 144 is 12, 12. The reason is that 12 is much more convenient because it has a lot of factors, 1, 2, 3, 4, 6, and 12. Mashan King 10 only has 1, 2, 5, and 10. So you can take it and break it into, you know, um, uh, conveniently into a, uh, 
uh, a, what do you call it, a quarter, but after that you're kind of stuck. Whereas if you work with 12, you can break things up into more convenient, smaller pieces to be able to work with. That's the advantage of base 12, right? Um, we work in base 10. Why do we work in base 10? Obviously, because base 10 is how many fingers you have. Hence the Romans, right? One, Roman numeral one, two, three, four, five. That's V, yeah? Six, seven, eight, nine. They get to 10. That's how they do 10. That's the X. Comes from there, right? But it's basically based on your fingers, right? So, so here's, here's the little twist from a Jewish point of view. Now, the Torah is in base 10. Clearly, it's in base 10, right? Ten Commandments, for example. Right? So, why do we use base 10? We don't use base 10 because we have 10 fingers. Rather, we have 10 fingers because HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world in base 10. Meaning, the physical reality of our body is a reflection of a spiritual truth. Right? Basar Mamaras, with 10 expressions, Hashem created the world. Hashem created the world on 10 dimensions, the 10 spheres. Right? All these kind of tens exist because that's how Hashem created the world. We have ten fingers because we are mirroring those powers. But, but the fact that we work in base ten is because the world itself was created in base ten. That's how Kodesh Baruch wanted it. The point being that every part of what we call the Tzuras HaAdam, the human body that you have down here, is a reflection of the spiritual essence of what's called an Adam, right? Adam Akadmon, the primal man who sits on the throne of, uh, you know, in, in, in the next world. This, this tremendous power. And the physical body you have is merely there as, a, as an access to these things. Hence the right arm and the left arm, Achazet and Gvura, right? There's every part of the, of the body has... Um, has deep significance to it. Um, I won't go into it now. We spoke about it years ago, as a matter of fact. How the fact that we refer to the kloyos, the kidneys, as the yoatzim of the body. How are they the, the advisors? And it has to do with an amazing um, physiological fact. But, but there's something there that's being reflected. The five parts of the mouth that are necessary to be able to speak. The fact that your nose forms the letter shin, for example. You know, everything on the human body is a reflection of a spiritual reality. The fact that you have hair on your head and every place else that you have hair. What it's supposed to signify. Right? What does hair signify? What, is, what does skin signify? Everything in your body is a reflection of a spiritual truth. And except for legs. Because up in Shemaim, you don't have any legs. Right? Hence, when the Gemara wants to describe Olam Haba, they say, In Olam Haba, in Achila, in Shtia, in Tashmashamita, in Maso, Matan. There's none of the physical things that we associate. Elat Tzadikim, Yoshvim, Ba'atroseim, Barashayim, Benandim, Exibashchina. Tzadikim sitting with the crowns on their heads, enjoying the light of the Shechina. They are sitting. Olam Haba, you sit. There is no place to go. There is no movement. There is no change. Wherever you are, that's where you are. Whatever you have prepared for yourself, right? He, whoever prepares on Erev Shabbos will eat on Shabbos. Whoever prepared on Erev Shabbos will eat on Shabbos. Because whatever you prepared for yourself, that's what you have. And there's no legs. Legs take you someplace. You're not going anywhere once you get there. You're sitting Legs are something that we have in this world that allows us to go someplace. Now, this world is described in fancy terms as the time-space continuum, right? Which means, as Einstein explained to us, that things like time and space cannot exist unless there's matter. If there's no matter, there's no time and space. Hence the question, what was the Kodesh Baruch Hu doing before he created the world? is inherently nonsensical. There is no before he's creating the world. There is no before and after when you're talking about a Kodesh Baruch Hu. It's only with its physical matter that you can even ask the question of, of time or space. Right? Bereshis, the first thing he created was time. And then he had to create a 
halal within which to be able to place the things that he was creating. Time and space. We live within time and space because we need time and space. Right? Um, Moshe Rabbeinu says to Paro, let us go three days into the Midbar and serve Hashem. And number the Mepharshim point out, he wasn't kidding. As the crow flies, well, there weren't any crows down there, but as a, as, as a straight line with a nice straight march, Har Sinai is three days from Mitzrayim. It would take three days to get to Mitzrayim. And that was it. The fact that it took us almost seven weeks to get there is because we needed seven weeks for the journey. If we didn't need seven weeks for the journey, we would be there already. The journey is only there because we need it. That is that nifty concept called Kvitzas Haderach. Kvitzas Haderach takes place when you don't need the journey. You are already at the destination. So Eliezer had to work out the fact that I'm not going to get Yitzchak for my daughter. And I have to remove from myself all of my personal considerations. And once that's all done, I'm already at the destination. I'm at the destination. The destination is there as long as I, you know, I need to journey as long as I need the journey. And if I don't need the journey, I'm at the destination. Time and space are limitations that are placed us, us, in, on us in this world because we need the journey. We need the time and the space. And if we don't, we're already there. This world is the entrance hall to the world to come. That means that it would be sad if you wanted to stay in the entrance hall, not to take away from the entrance hall. Right? Now, I'm not talking about in America, where, let's say, the banquet hall, the trockland, the back banquet hall, is maybe not that much fancier than the smorgasbord. I've been to weddings where what they served at the meal may not have been as impressive as the smorgasbord, or it may have even been at the smorgasbord, and they just repackaged it and put it out on your plate again. You know what I mean? Certainly I've been at Shabbos lunches like that, where they had the kiddush, and then afterwards we ate it again as the su'uda. But assuming that you have a more modest affair, more modest affair, in keeping with the Gedolim's guidelines in America, a more modest affair. So you know that inside of the banquet hall, they might be waiting for you the most wonderful things. You know? I'm, I'll step outside of the guidelines for a moment. But assuming that, you know, you have, you know, prime rib waiting for you there, you know, and you have um, uh, eight-piece orchestra, you know what I mean, and all the wonderful things that go with that. So the outside may not be that fancy. You may not have a full bar. You might have somebody carrying goods. You might not have fancy meals set up for you. You'll have hors d'oeuvres, you know? Uh, you might not have a whole orchestra, you'll have a violinist. You know, it's very nice. But when it's time to go in to the, to the main su'uda, so if you're at a really fancy affair, this little guy carries a gun. Have you ever been at one of those? That's really nice, a little gun, you know? It's totally ineffective. You know what I mean? If you have a from crowd, you know? You actually have to come with like cattle prods and like you know, try to zap them into the room because you know people don't want to move. I don't know why. But assuming that you're in the corridor, you don't want to just stand there. You know? I mean, perhaps I'll give one that is closer to my heart since I'm just returning from America and I got to spend a lot of time on a lot of different airplanes and a lot of different airports. What an exciting opportunity. So um, when you finally get off of the plane, you enter into this sleeve this little entrance way that'll bring you eventually to the airport. Nobody stays there because they want to. You understand? There are people who move slower, uh, and we try to bang them with our carry-on luggage. You know what I mean? There are people who decide to wait for their carriages right by the door, even though they made it clear it's not coming there. You know what I mean? There might be, uh, you know. But usually, once you get off that plane, you want to get out of there as quickly as possible. You don't even want to be in the airport, frankly. But at least you want to get to the airport someplace that's not this tiny little confined space. You want to be able to, like, you know, walk around a little bit. You know, you want to get through that entrance hall as quickly as possible. You want to get through the prison door and get somewhere. And we can only imagine how bizarre it might be if a person gets off the plane 
and gets into the little sleeve there and pulls over a chair and sits down. So don't you want to, no, I like it here. <laughs> well, don't you want to, you know, get home? No, I'm in no rush. I like it. What's that guy doing with the clipboard? Right? It's very nice. You know? It's so nice. Every now and then they open a the little door, you get a little breeze, you know, very nice, you know. Take a look at those little signs over there, you know. Oh, cute little ads that they have, you know. This is fun. I could just stay here all day, you know. So obviously, you know, the psychiatric ward is going to come and take them away. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to stay in the prison You want to go somewhere. If you're sitting, if you're sitting, it means you're at your destination. I'm there already. Right? We're, we're relaxing now. We're sitting down. You know? Can't we just stop for a little bit? But when we get there, we get there. <laughs> Those of us who grew up with that, you know. When we get there, you'll sit. Now we're moving. Come on, keep it moving, keep it moving. We've got to get there ready. You know, don't worry. Don't worry, you have plenty of time to sit. But now, says the Mesil Susharim, yeah, because Baruch created us, Hashem created us to get the greatest possible pleasure, which is the spiritual pleasure. The place to get this in its greatest sense is Olam Haba. Yeah? The way, the derech to get there is this world. We are on a path. We are on a road. We are going to a destination. We are not there yet. Are we there yet? No. Keep going. Can I sit down? You'll sit down when we get there. Now we're going somewhere. That's why we have legs. Legs are there to transport us someplace. Avram Avinu figures out a Kodesh Baruch at a very early age. What an unbelievable accomplishment. I, I was talking about this once and a fellow said that when he was in university and he studied sociology, this professor said that, the, that when it comes to religions, all societies are copycats. And you can see how the religions of North America morphed into the religions of Central America and into the religions of South America. You can see the transformation. And the entire world was polytheistic. North America, South America, Asia, Africa, Europe, um, Australia, the Polynesian Islands, everybody was polytheistic. And there is no monotheist today who does not trace it to Avram Avinu. Nobody. He says this was the single greatest discovery that was ever made. He was not a religious fellow. I don't even know if he was Jewish. You know but to suddenly turn your back philosophically on everything that the whole world believed is unbelievable. The Torah doesn't tell us about that. Nice point. The Torah doesn't tell us about that. Avramino stands up in front of Nimrod, who threatens him with death with a tremendous kimchina Asia to throw him into and burn him to a crisp. And he defies Nimrod, is thrown in, is miraculously saved. The Torah doesn't tell us that. The Rambam tells us that when he was in Haran, he had a yeshiva with thousands and tens of thousands of Talmidim. Quite an accomplishment. Right? That's, that's, might be bigger than a mirror. You know what I mean? Like, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Thousands, tens of thousands of Talmidim. Not thousands, but tens of thousands. Unbelievable. The Torah doesn't tell us that. Avravino is introduced to the world with the words, Lech Lecha. Go. Journey to the land I'm going to show you. There is a destination and you are on the road. And that's your goal in life. You know what the Jewish people are about? You are on a derech. You are going somewhere. Now is not the time to sit. Now is not the time to rest. Now we have to go. You know? And you, and you see these people who just do the most amazing things. They just keep going, you know? And, and, and there are other people who've got plenty of time to sit. No place to go. There are no particular rush, you know? I don't, I don't, I don't know if we should quote him in a shul, but there's a, a, a Jewish comedian comes from a family of rabbis and uh, he says, you know, you go down to Florida, you know, 
And he says, you talk to people, say, what are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. So what do you do? What do you mean? I'm in Florida. There's, there's boating, there's fishing, there's uh, swimming, there's hiking. It's an unbelievable thing. Do you do those things? No, I have no time. I'm so busy. So what do you mean? Well, there's classes. There's classes in pottery, classes in music, classes in this, classes in that. So you go to those classes? No, I'm so busy. Who's got time to go to classes? He says, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's this, this organization, that organization, this course, that course. Do you do any of those things? He says, no. So, so what do you do all day? Nothing. Sit. I sit. I wait to see somebody else. You going anywhere? Yeah, I'll go with you. We'll go together. <laughs> what are you doing? Nothing. We'll do it together. Nothing together. Nothing. I walked for a little bit. You know what I mean? I got nothing to do. No place to go. I remember reading an article when this is when Rashak was still alive and Leib Steinman was a young man in his 80s. And um, and they said they were grooming him to take over for Rashak. This is a man in his mid-80s. They're grooming him. You know what I mean? Trying to break him in easy. You know what I mean? And, uh, and they described his day. He was on his trip to America. And they said the last people left the house at 1 o'clock in the morning. And at 4 o'clock in the morning, he was already getting ready to dive in Masikin. You know? This was a young man in his 80s. Uh, my, my friend, and Rabbi Rishadmi, Varen Shadmi, who, who's been, was one of the first Bachram in Torah Or, he says, now, Scheinberg shall live and be well, but he's, he's getting older now already, he's 96. But also, when he was a young man in his 80s, he says, Jim Kippur morning, he'd wake up in Matasdorf, he'd walk to the Kaisel, Davin Vesikin, then walk back to Torah Or, with all the sisters, you understand? Walk back to Torah Or, and then Davin for the Omer the whole day. This is Jim Kippur. Now, he was a young man in his 80s then, you know, I mean, now he's getting a little older, doesn't move around as well, you know? Rebel Yoshev is also 95, 96. You should live and be well, right? So, uh, so somebody told me two years ago, he gives a share on Shabbos. He says he was in the area. He went. He says, uh, well, Yoshim is giving. He's talking. He's arguing with everybody. He said, you know, sitting and doing nothing? What do you do? Nothing. What do you do? Sit here. You got nothing to do? There's no place to go? There's nothing left to accomplish? That's a tragedy. The tragedy is when somebody sits in this world. And this world is a world where we have legs. Legs are supposed to take us someplace. I spoke about this at length some years ago, and I'm not going to go into it now, but since next week is already Shabbos Hanukkah, right? They, they say, Neskadal Hayashon. Right? And they came out with these newfangled um, dreidels. I went to the store. I couldn't even find one with a shin. They all have a pay. Nez Gadol Hayah Po. I remember the first time I got one of these, I was a kid in elementary school. I said, Rebbe, I got a defective one. You know, there's no shin. He says, no, it's new and improved. It comes from its shell. Nez Gadol Hayah Po. That's ridiculous. I want a regular dreidel like I always had, you know, with a shin. He says, no, it makes sense because what do you do when you get a shin? You pay. You pay. <laughs> I might have been young, but I wasn't that stupid. You know, I pulled that one over on me. But I thought to myself, over the years, it's such an interesting thing. That nace happened over there. You know why? Because if you're going shum, then you're not there yet. Go to the land I'm going to show you. You are on a journey. This is the derech. This is the pruzdor. You are not there yet. You can't sit and rest now. We've got to keep going. We've got to keep going. You know, it's the sort of thing where, you know, if you've ever found yourself in a difficult situation where you have to just keep going, there's no such a thing as just like sitting down because, you know, that's it. That's it. You're never going to get up again. You know, I, uh, the first Shabbos I moved to with my family, we were supposed to go for a Shabbos to friends of ours who were living in Gruss. We were living down on Lejeune at the time. And, um, and to my mind, you know, 40 minutes before Lichbenching, I mean, 40 minutes before Shkia, that's plenty of time. Call a cab and get over there, you know, because I just came from America. You know, here, if you don't buy something by 1 o'clock, that's it, you're finished. You know what I mean? You got to run and beg at the neighbors, you know. In America, you could run out a half an hour before, before Lichbenching and get anything you want. It's not a problem, you know. So, of course, I can't get a cab. And I was like, what do we do? We didn't make Shabbos, you know. We had four little kids. You know, what do we do? So I look at my wife and I said, I guess we'll have to walk. Now, we all exceed in different areas. Walking is not one of mine. It's never been. I'm much better at sitting. 
Sitting, even standing, I could manage under the right circumstances. You know, so we pack up the four kids, the oldest of which was five, with our luggage and the double stroller, and we start walking up. And we were down the first two, you know, angels, and and around, you know, down Herzl, where they put these giant pylons in the middle of the sidewalk, so you can't get by with a carriage, and you have to like time it so you can run into traffic long enough just so you hopefully don't get killed and jump back onto the sidewalk. It was a very exciting experience and we're just schlepping and the two older kids are like, I'm tired, I'm tired. I said, no, got to keep going, got to keep going. You know what I mean? And then we made the wrong turn off. We made the left by Shari Tzedek. Oh no, that was the right turn off. But then we went up the first one, like towards the Shalom Hotel. And we went straight up this hill, like this, <laughs> like this, you know. And we finally get to the top and went to Shalom Hotel. We realized we took the wrong turn off. Which means we'd have to turn around, go all the way back down, go all the way back down. So me, Mr. Shortcut, and somebody once pointed out that, you know, they found this expression, the longest distance, we know the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. The longest distance between two points is a shortcut. So, uh, so I said, look, we could cut through over here. <laughs> you know, like down this mountain. You know? So we start going. There were these thorns this big growing out of plants. There's no path. You know, all of a sudden, there's like this giant drop. I'm like taking the children. I feel like, you know, I'm escaping through the mountains, you know what I mean, at night, you know. And I'm trying to, and it's like, there's no chance we're going to get it. And suddenly, this fellow comes walking by, whom my wife remembered, you know, when she went to seminary, he was the, the Muradarek. And he's like, oh, you're going for a walk after the Suda? <laughs> Obviously, we have a different perception of what's considered a relaxing Shabbos Tiol. So I said, no, we're supposed to be at Grizzly. And he goes, oh, I'll help you. And he picks up the double carriage and a suitcase and runs down the mountain. <laughs> Me and my wife carefully, like, you know, with, with ropes, and, you know, get, get ourselves down to the next drop. You know what I mean? He comes back up, scoops up the next two children, and the next suitcase runs off, you know. And uh, Baruch Hashem, me and my wife got down. Otherwise, I'm sure he would have put both of us on his shoulders and <laughs> run down, you know what I mean? And these are the people who become tour guides. That's it, I'm going to tell you, you know. And, uh, and as we made this whole journey, we finally got there. And when I got there, oh boy, did I sit. <laughs> I wasn't moving for nothing. And, uh, you know, but there's this idea that, you know, well, we can sit down. We've got plenty of time. Plenty of time. We're in the middle of the road. Now you don't stop. When you're pushing that carriage, it hurts all. When the cars are coming, you, you run. You go quickly. I don't know how anybody is old enough to remember this, but the one bus used to go through the old city. I remember this. One bus used to go through the Armenian quarter, the Jewish quarter, and it fit just perfectly through those little, you know, caves there, and it would come kind of quickly, because you know, those bus drivers, you know, they're, they're determined. They still think they're on maneuvers. You know what I mean? They are. Uh, That's I don't know about now, but it used to be when the bus would, you know, the bus would open the doors before it stopped, and everybody would like hop out. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, they're going to get their positions. Anyway, so sometimes you're like walking and kind of slapping along through the tunnel and suddenly you hear behind you, you look around, and the one bus is coming, you're like, no! <laughs> going to get through because otherwise, you know, you just, you know those little holes in the wall there? They weren't there originally, they were people. And they just, the bus just pushed them through, you know what I mean, you know? You don't stop, you got to go someplace. Sadiqim do not have the Aish of Gehenna. The Aish of Gehenna are not children on Sadiqim. Why? Say the Chazal because Sadiqim are Aish in this world. What does that mean? What that means is that um, water, when it's not moving, is called water. When it is moving, it's called a wave. Air, when it's not moving, is called air. When it is moving, it's called wind. Fire, when it's burning, is called fire. When it's not, it's called wood. But there's no such a thing as, as fire in a non-kinetic state. It's not fire. It might be potential energy, but it's not fire. Fire has to keep moving to exist, and once it stops, it goes out and is no longer fire. Fire does not exist unless it's burning. Tzadikim don't sit in this world. They're moving. They're accomplishing. Right? Gehenna is described as a place of Aish. And there's different ways of understanding it. But one way of understanding it is the famous example that everybody always gives. Right? The end of your life, everyone has to sit down and watch their life with all of their loved ones and all of the tzaddikim and everybody watches your life. It's a pretty depressing show. Yeah? And you watch. This is my life. Just, just to focus for a moment on how depressing it is, I, I, don't, I may have this wrong, but somebody was trying to explain this to me. 
there's this website called Second Life where people go on and create a virtual life for themselves. So I said, you know, you're like a wizard or a dwarf. No, you're the same exact thing as you are, only maybe a little taller. You know what I'm Or you make a little more money. <laughs> you're like, but basically it's your same and you buy things and you go to work and it's it's your whole life and pe- I said people's life are so boring they want to pick another one well, I would be a superhero you know what I mean I would do something unbelievable you know what I mean what's your life I'm an accountant you know what I mean that's very exciting because in my real life I was an actuary so now I became an accountant you know what I mean and that's what I do you know and it used to be I lived in a house with one floor and I got two floors you know what I mean I, you know, I used to be five foot six now I'm five six eight you know five eight five foot eight you know what I'm this is it? This is your second life? You know? It's unbelievable. But, uh, but so you watch your life, I guess. Because <laughs> over there you're going to have to watch both lives. You know what I mean? Your first life and your second life. You know? And they're going to show this in the video. And when it's done, then they show you another video. And, or a DVD. Yeah? It was what your life could have been. And that's the age of Gehenna. When you realize what you could have done in this world, but you didn't. You sat. You sat. You spent a lot of time doing other stuff instead of going on and doing what, what you knew you should be doing in this world, going someplace. You sat around doing nothing. You know? You could have been from Scheinberg walking to the Geisel. You could have been Leif Steinman, you know, running around. Or Tversky told me when he used to run around with Kreiswitz, uh, that's how. He says, forget about it. He says he was, he was three times my age and, 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 and I couldn't keep up with him. You know? Nonstop, day and night. And uh, and that's how he that's how he looked at life. Or you can be one of these people sitting on a chair. What are you doing? Nothing. Where are you going? Nowhere. What are you doing? Not just sitting there, just doing nothing. That's so sad. Sadiqim are protected from the Ishigahim. You know why? Because they never sit there. They're always doing something. They're always going someplace. There's a life of doing. Their whole life is kinetic. They're trying to accomplish something. Bikesh Yaakov Leishev B'Shalva. Zezich Samsoit. Chas V'Sholom. You think that he wanted to sit and do nothing? No. He just knew that with peace and quiet, he'd be able to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu better. He didn't want to be bothered. That, and he says, not enough that you're going to sit in Olam Haba, you want to sit now? What does that mean? That means in this world there's no such a thing as getting getting the time to relax. You got stuff you got to do. There's things you have to accomplish. This world is Arab Shabbos. The world to come is Shabbos. You know, when will the drain back up in the bathroom and flood it? Won't it be ten minutes before lich benching? That's what happened to me. <laughs> I'm sitting there on my hands and knees in dirty water, digging hair out of the drain. For <laughs> Hashem. And then you go into Shabbos, and Shabbos, you know, is a chance to relax. But but the Eru Shabbos, you got what to do. Eru Shabbos is not the time to sit around. You gotta you gotta you gotta make sure everything's turned on. You gotta set the lights. You gotta put things on. You gotta get everything done. Now's the time to do it. You can't do it later. Well, this world must do something. Yaakov wanted the peace and quiet. Now he takes he takes two different approaches, both of which are are just absolutely beautiful. And uh, he has several approaches. He must have like nine different pieces on this. And, uh, uh, but there's two that I want to focus on. The first one is, he looked at it as Maguri Aviv. He saw it as Eretz Maguri Aviv. He didn't want to, he didn't want it as a Nachla. He didn't call it Eretz Ivrim. He wanted the Menucha to do Avodah Hashem because he knew he could have more Avodah Hashem than Menucha. Sesach Sam an unbelievable idea. He says, but that's not what Hashem wants. Hashem wants you to be the Kadesh Shem Shemayim. And he brings a Posik from the Haftorah of Hanukkah, from Zechariah, where the Navi says about Yehoshua Kohen Gadol, Posik Zion, this is in Zechariah Gimel Zion, Koma Hashem Svakois. If you walk in my way and keep my mishmar, watch my chotzer, my house, 
ונסעתי מהלכים בין העומדים האלה. I will give you מהלכים, walkers between these standards. זה זכם סייפר, זה זכש פנאיים. What does it mean, Zechash Benayim? Zechash Benayim hid up in the caves for three years because the Greeks made terrible gazeros against them. And what am I supposed to do? I can't fight the Greeks. So they hid up in the caves. That's where the dreidel comes in, right? They come looking for them, they take out the dreidel, they play. When the Greeks left, they put away the dreidel, take out the smarm. I've been in some yeshivas where it works the other way. But uh, the Rebbeim come, they take out the smarm, and they leave, you know. Makes you wonder who won the war. But in any event, so he says, uh, they were hiding up the gates. He says, the Chsam Sefer says, it's unbelievable. There's no question that they were able to serve Hashem better. Davin, learn, do what Hashem better while they were hiding up the caves. But that was what Hashem wanted. He wanted them to walk. He wanted them to go someplace. Even though, obviously, when you're running around with a spear chasing an army, probably you'll have less time to concentrate on your learning. I can't speak from experience, but this is what they say. Some sort of says. And therefore they had to be Bekadai Shem Shemayim. And he says, Yaakov wanted to stay in Eretzel and let Eretzel be the, the fulfillment. I'll stay here and I'll do my 400 years here. Like Avram and Yitzchak did their 400 years here. I want to stay here now. I want to rest. I'll sit and learn. Don't worry, I know it's not my land. I know I don't own it here. I know it's Eretz Maguri Aviv. But that's okay. I'm willing to put up with that. Because Baruch Hu says, no, we have to be Kadashim Shemayim. i got to take you down into Mitzrayim. we got to have the Esamakos. i got to have Kriyas Yamsuf. we got to come back here and take the land from the Kananim and beat them over the head like they deserve. No, no, no. Immediately comes Rugzo Shal Yosef because that's what's going to bring you down to Mitzrayim. I know you don't want to go to Mitzrayim. But I don't care what you want. You want to sit? You know, you want to you want to stop for a minute? I'm not interested in what's most comfortable. Understand? I know you want the peace and quiet just so you can grow in your Avodah Hashem. But who says that's what it's about? And then there's another Mahalach. He has, he has, like I say, a whole bunch of them. But, but <coughs> the next one that I want to bring up, because it's amazing how these two tie right in Chanuk. He says the following. You see that there was this place called Eretz Ivrim. So why isn't this called Eretz Ivrim? So he says Yaakov Avinu understood that he um, that there was the gullus that had to be fulfilled, and he knew that he was going to do the gullus, and he was going to stay here and take care of the gullus. But there's two different types of gullus, and he contrasts gullus madai was Golas Yavan. Golas Madai was, we lived in Bavel slash Madai slash Paras, you know that whole area there. And everybody left us alone. We had it really comfortable and really good and it was very nice. We went in Eretzrael, but life was comfortable. We had to live with the fact that we couldn't be in Eretz HaKadoshah but at least it was comfortable. What happened by Yavan? We went to Israel. It was a gullus in Israel. But there was all kinds of attacks and all kinds of gazeras and all kinds of misas, mashunais, and all kinds of pains and sorrows. But at least we went to Israel. And Yaakov thought he'd get the best of both worlds. I'll live in Israel without any tzars. And that, Akash Baruch Hu said, is not going to be. Because Avram Avinu, and if you remember, we spoke about this on Parshas Lech Lecha, Avram Avinu was given a choice. You want Gehenim, or you want Shibid Malchus? You want Golis, or you want Gehenim? And Avram says, I'll take Golis. And that's why when David Melech comes down to destroy the Umas Olam, Avram Avinu chases him away. Not time yet. I'm going to take Golis. So now it's Golis. And you want to have the best of goals? You want to be in Eretz without any terrorists? That's not going to happen. 
you can live in peace and quiet. And in fact, when he goes down to Mitzrayim, he lives there for 17 years with Yosef taking care of him. And he's honored and respected and he's got lots of, you know, peace and quiet. But not in Israel. You want peace and quiet? It's in Gullis. You know, you want to be in Israel? It's with Saras. But it's going to be one or the other. You're not going to get both. Because we have to accomplish something. We have to go somewhere. So the the I, I suppose the most important point that we have to make, and that's why the whole parsha is called Vayeshev. The whole parsha takes place because Yaakov wanted to sit, not for a bad reason. He wanted to stop. Hakadosh Baruch Hu says, "No, no, no! Tzadikim don't stop. Tzadikim keep going." Yaakov Avinu, okay, you know. So, you know, Baruch Hashem, there were many Gedolim who didn't have to go through such terrible tsaras. Many tzaddikim didn't have to go through such terrible tsaras. They kept going. I'm sure Yaakov Avinu kept going like that. Right? 14 years he was in Yeshiva, Shein Be'eber, he never slept. We talked about that years ago, and we, we concluded, of course, they didn't have a dormitory. But, um, you know, but he didn't even go to sleep. He didn't sleep, he worked, he worked nonstop. Non-stop, he, he was always pushing himself. But Yaakov, who is the epitome of Yisrael, who is the picture of Klai Yisrael, then you have to understand that Klai Yisrael has to accomplish something in this world. What was, what was the, what was the Midah connected? Midah says the Ksav Seifer. It's interesting. He says, I'm going to say it this way. Somebody passed by um, this yeshiva on Yom Kippur. And he went to a local synagogue and they finished somewhat early and he was going home for his long break. And here's everybody inside crying and, and, and banging on their chest and says, wow, this must be the worst people in town. Listen how they're crying. Wow, I wonder what kind of various they did. I mean, I didn't do anything that bad. <laughs> That's why we finished early. Now I'm going to sleep. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Obviously the people who are, you know, I once heard the Noah Weinberg put it this way, you know, who's... He, he, he said to someone, are you a good person or a bad person? He says, I'm a good person. He said, who's more likely to say they're a good person? A good person or a bad person? <laughs> right? A bad person says, what do you mean? I'm a great guy. I didn't do anything wrong. A good person is always looking at himself saying I could be better. He says, Asaph? Asaph was enjoying Olam Haza? Hey, I'm sure he felt confident about his Olam Haba. Yeah, I'm fine. I got nothing to worry about. I'm going to enjoy it now because I have nothing to worry about tomorrow. Yaakov was always worrying about the next world. Why? Because it meant something to him. Because he really had it. Because there was something important to talk about. He knew he was going somewhere. But once he tried to, so to speak, have Olam Haba completely in this world, because Baruch had to take it away, so that he would understand with the sense of anticipation that you need. And what does it say? It says, now, after, after Yosef is gone, so his Lushan is... I'm going to go down to Gehenna. Why, says Rashi? Because he had a simon. That he had 12 sons, and each one of his sons would protect him from one of the months that a person would have to spend in Gehenna. The maximum is 12 months. He had 12 sons, and we go to Gehenna. Now he lost one of his sons. Now he had to worry that he wouldn't have his Olam Haba. That was the Midah Mida to make him think, whoa, whoa, don't relax. Don't take it easy. We have to go somewhere. We're not Yaakov Avinu. We're not Chashmanoim. But a friend of mine was a vecker in a yeshiva. And he used to come around in the morning saying, let's go. Plenty of time to sleep when you're dead. <laughs> a bright and cheery thought. But it's true. Plenty of time. You've got nothing to get up for. Got nothing to get up for. Got no place to go. Nothing to do. I'm where I'm at. I don't need legs. I have no place to go and nothing to accomplish. Calls mind that we say that because Baruch Hu has ways of pushing us to pick ourselves up and keep going. Because he doesn't want us to miss the banquet hall. Don't stay in the sleeve coming out of the airplane. Get out. Go someplace. You know? Buy yourself a piece of fruit at the, one of those air, airport stands for $17. You know what I mean? Something. Don't just stand there. Don't just sit there. You got to go somewhere. That's this whole world. 
This is a derech. Leich lecha. We have to accomplish something. And we're going into Hanukkah. And the Chashmanayim, they were sitting safe. And they said, but that's not Ratzon Hashem. Ratzon Hashem is, I got to do something. I got to pick myself up and go. Obviously, all of us who are here, if you had this shir, are probably not native Israelis. And uh, that's why we came to Israel. We understood. We want to go someplace. But even this isn't the destination. We're certainly not free from sorrows. But Baruch Hashem, we don't have to worry. We're okay. You know? We don't have to worry like Yaakov that we wanted to stay in Eretz without any sorrows. We all have sorrows. You know? When I first met Ali, I remember he used to say, No, Eretz Yisrael, nickname You know? And I said, Yeah, but why does everything have to be Chazan Isis Shir? You know what I mean? I live in Yerushalayim. You know, Mebrak, I understand. You know, it's got to be extra large. But here, you know, I don't have to supersize it. You know what I mean? The extra service, you know? There's all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of problems. Yeah? But that's because we're going somewhere. We have a, we are, we're on a journey. We're trying to accomplish something. We're trying to make ourselves be the best that we can. There'll come a day when we'll sit. There'll come a day when we can just enjoy enemies of Ishkina. But now we still have what to do. Where there's life, there's more to accomplish. There's more to do. Whatever that means. Somebody told me... Uh, the stipler at the end of his life when he was, he was very old. So uh, this fellow got to go to the minion. He made a private minion in his house for Simchus Taira. And the stipler was very old and it was very hard for him. But he was, he was dancing with a kayak he had. And he sat down. He sat down. He didn't have a kayak. And he quickly grabs, grabs him his machsa. The fellow went over to look over and see what he was doing. So he opened up to a page. He was chazering Hilchus Yantam. This time he'd seen it many times. Probably knew it pretty well. You understand? But what am I supposed to do? Just sit? Just sit here and do nothing? This world is, is for doing. This world, we have legs. This, year, this world is a prisoner. We have what to accomplish and what to do. And Amir Hashem, if we walk the journey that we're supposed to walk, eventually we'll come to the place and the time where we can sit and enjoy all that we've accomplished. For those who may have come late, there will be another parasha share next week for Hanukkah. It's not a parasha and if anyone would like to be on the email sign-up list, there are two sheets in the back. You could write down your name and your email address. Why do we sit shiva? Because the closer you come to death, that's where you sit. So, um, I'm trying to remember somebody brought an example of this. Sure. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you.